God. Well, again, it's great to be with you here this morning. Uh, so today, I, I love this time of year for a lot of reasons. Uh, as many of you know, uh, I am a big sports fan and can find myself getting sucked into almost any sporting event on TV, except for cars racing around in a circle for hours and hours. But other than that, um, most of them I can. And uh, so I love this kind of this time of year, of course, coming out of March Madness. March Madness is, you don't have to like college basketball to like March Madness. All you have to do is pick a winner that you somehow are an expert in knowing who's going to win each game, and then you're engaged, right? So March Madness is fun, and I do have to say, for the first time, I think he might be watching. Uh, Matt Carlson won our Seacoast uh, pool this year, um, which is kind of amazing. Um, it helps to not know anything about college basketball, apparently. He did pick St. Peter's to beat Kentucky in round one, because he's like, St. Peter? Of course they will win. So he and like one other person on earth picked them. So anyway, so that's the key to winning. <laughs> which beat uh, Patricia's usual strategy of picking the mascot that can eat the other mascots. So, which she has won two of the last four years doing that. Let's just say it does not pay to know much about college basketball <laughs> or to know anything. It, it doesn't help. So anyway, so I love this kind of year, this time of year with those kind of things. And, and, and uh, baseball season starting, of course, is fun. But w one thing about sports that's so fun is just that, that thrill of victory. And even when you're on the winning team, it's kind of fun to be like, yeah, that's our people. And if you're a real sports fan, you know, you win the championship. And like the next day, you're like, what are we going to do to win next year? <laughs> It's, it's always short-lived, but it is fun to get there. And we all know, like, with sports, there's, there's these symbols that represent being the champion. For example, we have pictures like this. Like, this is, this, this is how you know what it looks like to be a champion. I know when I said symbols of championship, this is the picture that went in all of your people's mind. And I, I picked Red Sox because it's church, Sunday morning, God's team. So we have to do... You have to kind of pick something like that. And, and not only do you get trophies, but then you get the parades. Look at the next one. This is what fans do when your team wins. You crowd the streets and you watch your players drive on cars through the streets. You're like, this is the best thing ever. We are the champions. This is so great. We get to pack in because we won and skip school and, and celebrate that we won. So that's kind of the fun part of, of this. But we know that even in sports, I have, to, I have to give a nod to this, that if you're on the other side of that, sometimes you look and feel like this. Yeah. Now what I don't get is the kid's wearing a Northwestern shirt. So what sport could he possibly think they should be doing better in? I don't know. But sometimes that is how we look and feel. Uh, when we lose. So we'll move on. <laughs> this day, Palm Sunday, is a day when we look on our calendar, and if you read through scriptures, that is steeped with symbolism of victory. It's steeped with, with this imagery that maybe we just read it and we think, oh, it has to, yeah, palm branches, you wave them around, that's kind of cool. But to the original audience, to the members who were there at that first Palm Sunday, what they experienced was almost the same kind of joy that we will experience when our teams win. It was the same kind of hope and expectation that we are, there's something different going on. 
I've said it before that, but when my family spent some time, I was living and studying in Israel, and when one of our favorite, I think our favorite holiday to celebrate in Israel was Palm Sunday. It was a day when thousands and thousands of Christians from all over the world gather on top of Mount of Olives and walk on the same path that Jesus walked into the old city of Jerusalem. And as we would walk there, we were among, the year we were there, was about 10,000 people. And people of every language you could think of singing Hosanna in their language as you walk in these crowded streets into the city. And we just had this picture of this global kingdom of God, of every tribe and nation singing and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, even 2,000 years later. And so when we look at the text today, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read the story of Palm Sunday. And as we read the story of Palm Sunday, I want to put, we want to kind of paint the picture of what it must have been like to be caught up in this moment. Just a week before Jesus would be crucified and raised from the dead. So Luke chapter 19 is where we're going today. I want to invite you to get there. And as we go there, let me pray. God, we just pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to who you are. Lord, there's some of us in here, we've been following you for many, many years, and I pray today, God, that even we would see you in new light and remember what it means to declare that you are Lord. God, may we be people who surrender and say, we give it all to you. And for those who are still exploring and wondering about who you are and are you worth following, God, may you just proclaim today to each heart that you are God above that all. And would you draw hearts and minds to you. So we thank you. We give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 19, if you're new to Scripture, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Uh, you're always welcome to use a digital copy if you prefer that. And it's uh, for some of you, that, that works well. In the age of technology, it's not less spiritual. Don't let anyone tell you it is. But whatever works for you. So let's jump in. We're going to start in Luke chapter 19 and verse 28, and we're going to walk through this story. Actually, starting in verse 29. It says, when Jesus approached Bethpage and Bethany, these are towns kind of, when he was in Jericho, he's walked up. There's literally, Jerusalem's kind of in the mountains a little bit. Uh, Mountains, by their standards, maybe four or 5,000 feet high. They go up to the, uh, up to Jerusalem, and the first villages you'll see are Bethpage and Bethany, and from there you go down the hill into Jerusalem. It says, near the mountain that is called Olivet, and in other words, Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you will enter, you will find a colt tied up, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying this colt, you'll say that this, say this, that the Lord has need of it. So those disciples who were sent left and found it just as Jesus told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners said to them, why are you untying our colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Okay, I want to stop right there. Because a question that we have at this point in the story is, okay, what the heck is going on? (laughs) What is this that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he tells tells his disciples, go on ahead, you're going to find a colt, which is, is a young donkey, and untie it and bring it here for me. And if the owners say, why are you stealing our donkey, our colt, you say, oh, because the Lord needs it. 
Now, that doesn't sound like a really good argument or really good reason, does it? Uh, But there is so much in this statement. Because at this time, the rumors of who Jesus was were becoming pretty well known. The idea that there is a Jewish rabbi, this teacher, who's walking throughout the land, who's been in Jerusalem a few times, but mostly spent most of his time in Galilee and northern Israel in that region. But they knew that he was teaching a new kind of teaching. He was using the Hebrew scriptures and he was opening their eyes to what God really had for his people. And not only was he teaching in a new way, he was proclaiming this with power and authority and accompanying his teaching came miracles. He was healing the sick. He was giving hope to those who were cast aside and who were rejected by everyone else. And he was radically shaking up the culture and the landscape of their faith. So rumors were swelling around, like, could this be God's Messiah, meaning his anointed one? Could this be the one that we read about in our scriptures that one day will come as the servant of Israel, who will come and rescue us, bring us salvation? Is this him? And so people were wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? And interestingly, to this point, many times when people said, hey, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, he would tell them, don't say anything about that yet. Don't spread those rumors yet, even though it's true. The the country is not ready to hear this truth. It's interesting that that was common with Jesus until this moment. On this moment, he's actually using this to proclaim something very profound. By saying, go and untie this colt, the Lord has need of it. To us, culturally, is like, okay, that's just random. But let's look at what's really going on. This is, and I want you to know at this part, this is Jesus is entering Jerusalem in this way to proclaim a new kingdom. I want you to see this. The first part of what we see here is Jesus is entering. He's proclaiming a new kingdom by doing this. Now, again, for us, we're going like, how is, what is the cult of a donkey have anything to do with a new kingdom? Well, follow with me now. In Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9, this is in the Old Testament, written probably at least 400, 450 or 500 years before Christ, somewhere in that range. Zechariah is writing a prophecy at the time they were under the occupation of the Persians, and he talks about there's a new kingdom that's going to come and overthrow the Persians, which happened to be the Greek empire, and said they're going to go through the land but will not take Jerusalem. In fact, Alexander the Great read this passage. He was introduced to this passage, and everything happened as he did. And so the rumor is he comes out, meets the high priest of Jerusalem, and says, hey, your Bible has predicted all of that I've done, and it says I'm not, I didn't go into Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't use his name. It just says there's a kingdom that's going throughout the land. And the, the historians say Alexander the Great came out and met the high priest of Jerusalem and said, since your prophecies have been right, we're not coming into Jerusalem. And historically, they didn't at that time. So there's this prophecy that something is going to happen. Israel is going to be set free from the first, or from, at that time, the Persian occupation. But in chapter 9, verse 9, it changes. The prophecy changes and starts to talk of a future kingdom. It talks about an ultimate deliverance. And all of a sudden is talking about a Messiah, God's anointed one, who will come once and for all. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this. I have it for you on the screen. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. 
Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation. He's humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As that, the next verse says, I will eliminate the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be eliminated. And this king will speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. In other words, we know, okay, this is something different. We're talking about peace. We're talking about the end of war. We're talking about an ultimate kingdom that's being introduced by this king. And notice the prophet says, he will come to you on, the colt, on a colt full of a donkey. So Israelites who would study their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, would read this verse and say, what does this mean? What would this look like? What, what, what is this talk of, of this king coming, our king, our Messiah, coming, and coming in on a, on a colt, so full of a donkey? So when Jesus says to his disciples, go and find this colt and bring it to me, and if they ask, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it. They would explain the situation, say, the Lord needs this. They would immediately start to connect the dots and say, oh, could it be that what this rumors of Jesus as Messiah is actually going to be fulfilled in this moment? This scripture that was kind of confusing to us or we didn't know what to expect. Jesus was intentionally saying, we, I want to make it clear to you that this king is me. Now, could you make the argument, well, he knew the scripture, so he just did that to, to, so people thought he was fulfilling it. Well, yeah, but, or he did it to say, I want you to be clear that I am the one you are waiting for. And so as he comes in, he proclaims, and how he enters, he proclaims a new kingdom, a kingdom that will extend from sea to sea and whose dominion will be forever the one who's endowed with salvation. This is not a normal king. This is not Alexander the Great. This is not a Caesar. This is not any human ruler. There is something going on. And Jesus says, I am the one you're thinking of. So let's go back to the passage now, back in verse 35. So they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their coats, their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now, as he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road, and as soon as he was approaching near the descent of Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. And they were shouting, Blessed is the King, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Wow. Okay. So Jesus is approaching now on, on a, the colt, the foal of a donkey, and, and people start saying, this is the one who's proclaimed miracles. He's fulfilling the prophecy. This is the Messiah. And they begin shouting out, and, and they start saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on earth and glory in the highest. This is a, this is a spontaneous praise session, but can you imagine now? When we think of praising God, when we think of just our hearts being overwhelmed, do you picture Jesus coming in on a young donkey? It, it, the scene, sometimes when I think of it, I'm like, this, this doesn't seem majestic. 
This doesn't, like, don't you want to see him coming and the clouds are breaking three, free behind him and there's like lightning bolts and, and there's the sunbeams. My, co- my kids, when they were young, call them the God lights, you know, over the, the ocean when it's breaking through the clouds. Like, you want the God lights on him and he's coming down on a white horse like Gandalf, which was symbolic of this, and coming in and saying, here I come, make no mistake. And as he comes down and he sees Roman soldiers, he's just like, just like destroying him. I mean, that's, that, to me, would have been cooler. That's pretty awesome. I want to see that. But he comes in on not even like a full-grown donkey, but a young one. Wait, what? Jesus? But what do the crowds do? They bust out in praise. Because not only was he coming to proclaim a new kingdom, but they knew there was something different about this kingdom. See, a couple things we need to know. In the ancient Near East, if you were a political leader, you could come into a city on a horse. If you came on a, on a horse, it represented you're coming in for military reasons, and it usually represented war. Now, if you came in for a civil ceremony to maybe sign a peace treaty or something like that, and you were coming in saying, hey, don't, don't worry, I'm coming in peace, you would come in on a donkey. Now, a young donkey is, is, is kind of like, wait, God is doing something totally different even here. But make no mistake, what he's saying is, I am coming to proclaim peace. I'm not coming to destroy the Roman soldiers. I'm not coming to set you free from Caesar right now. That's not what I'm coming in to do. And that was what most of the Israelites expected the Messiah to do. They would expect as the Messiah comes that probably that meant that once and for all, we're going to be free and have our kingdom back. But he comes in on a donkey, meaning I'm coming in peace. There will be no war. But still the crowds praise. And they, they sing out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they understand that not only is he bringing a new kingdom, but Jesus is proclaim, entering to proclaim a new ethic. It's a new way of living. And the Israelites who had been around Jesus, all, all the Jews and actually many of the Gentiles who interacted with Jesus understood that he is introducing us to a different take on Scripture. He's introducing us to a different take on what it means to follow the creator of the universe, Yahweh. He's introducing this new ethic that wasn't coming with the way we would expect, with force, with might, with brutality, but he was coming with peace and gentleness. Now he knew there is a day coming. We read of at the end of times that Jesus will come back again. We believe that. Scripture talks about it. And then... As we read in Revelation, he actually comes back. He is on a horse. It is a lot more like Gandalf coming down the mountain. And that will be awesome too. (laughs) But he knew for the time that we are here on earth, representing his name, that we needed to break free from all of our ways that we think work. Which is quit living like people who are living in sin. A world that's all about, I will be stronger than you. I, the, the, the strong survive, the weak throw them aside. Those who can't clean up their act fast enough aren't welcome in my kingdom. All of that is the way we think. And Jesus is saying, I want to break all of that kind of thinking. And I'm coming in in a whole new way. 
And they bust out in song, proclaiming, singing, Hosanna, which means save. Blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on earth and glory in the highest. This is amazing. And by the way, these, this is part of Psalm 118. In a moment, we're going to look at why he came when he came. But this was Passover week. This is the week for, on the Jewish calendar that they remembered that they were in slavery in Egypt and God delivered them and set them free. This is the week that at the end of the week, they were going to kill their Passover lamb, a pure and spotless lamb that they would every year kill in place to, as represent atonement to say, this lamb dies and God will pass over us. He will overlook our sins. He'll overlook our shortcomings. That's going to happen this week. And one of the songs that they would sing during this week came from Psalm 118. It was a, a group of psalms that were all known as Passover songs. Psalms, the Hallel, the, the praise psalms. And 118 is one of them. And so this is one of them. As he's coming, they're remembering and thinking of Passover. They're thinking of God's deliverance. They're thinking of being set free from slavery. All of these things. And they spontaneously start singing this song, saying this is the one who will really deliver us. And he's proclaiming a whole new way of living. So go back to the story now. Back into the chap uh, Luke 19. Verse 39 as they were singing and shouting. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to quit singing these songs to you. Tell them to quit proclaiming that you're God in flesh. Quit, tell them to quit saying that you're the Messiah, the one who's going to save us. Tell them to be quiet. Rebuke them. This is blasphemy. They think you are the Messiah. They think you are God sent to us. You're our, the servant of Israel. Tell them to stop it. I love how Jesus responds. I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. There's a lot of debate over what exactly does that mean? Is it the stones in the temple in Jerusalem or the walls of Jerusalem? What is this? But I was recalling back throughout Scripture and how many times we hear of all nature proclaims the glory of God. In fact, Isaiah 55 verse 12 says this, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Get this. The mountains and the hills before you will break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now obviously the mountains and the trees aren't clapping their hands and singing about God that we know of, right? But what's happening is this thing, nature, creation itself, proclaims the glory of God and who he is. Who of us cannot go up into the mountains and see the majesty of the mountains and say, wow, there's something special about this. How many of us, when you go down and you want to have your end of the day surf session, and you go down there and you realize, why is there no parking? Oh, it's because everyone wants to see the sunset, there should be a surfer's only parking lot. What is going on? It's because something in us knows that there's something special about that. There's something amazing about creation. All creation is declaring that it's, there's got to be something more than random chance. Why does that connect with our hearts so much? If not, it's because our creator is speaking to us. Amen, yes. 
So then mountains will clap their hands, the trees will sing and bust forth. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you can tell the disciples to quit proclaiming that I'm God, but if they do, all creation will. You're not going to hold me back. It's being proclaimed. So the next thing we see in the story is Jesus comes to proclaim. Uh, well, first, we had a new kingdom. And he comes to proclaim a new ethic. And the next slide, put that up there for us. Here he comes to proclaim a future hope. See, in this, as he comes, he's saying, I am God. And there's, you can hope in me. So people started grabbing palm branches. And they started singing from Psalm 118, verse 25. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they started saying that they grabbed these palm branches and they waved them. Now, why do they do this? See, in the ancient Near East, especially in the Greco-Roman world, the Greeks and the Romans, palm branches represented victory. You would have palm branches to say that this is the victor. This is the king. They, in, in the Rome or the Greek uh, Olympic Games, you would get a wreath of palm branches. There's coins that have depictions of Caesar and palm branches next to him to say that this is the king. This represented in their world, this is triumph. This is the World Series trophy being waved and held up. This is saying that who we are seeing now as we wave these branches, this is our king. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it's a picture of, of heaven and looking at the future, and it says this, After I looked, there before me was a great multitude, and no one could count, from every nation and every tribe, people of every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, declaring our God. I was going to wear a white robe today, um, but I couldn't find one, so I just, yeah. The picture of heaven is everyone is waving these palm branches saying, here is our victor. On Palm Sunday, they grabbed these palm branches, started singing about the Messiah and saying, here is the victor. It is Jesus. And so he's proclaiming a future hope. This is no longer just about something that's happening right now, but this is the one we're longing for and waiting for, and there will be ultimate victory in the name of Jesus. Amen? And so he is saying every experience of the fall, all the result of sin, the sickness and the pain and the disease and the broken relationships and all those things that we still have to experience, one day will be done with because I am the victor and we will see by the end of the week, he'll be crucified and ra raised again. And when he rose again, he said, death is defeated. Sin is defeated. We have a victor. Are you with me? Thank you. So what do we see in this story? A couple things. First thing I, we see is hope misplaced. It's interesting that uh, you think, well, how is this hope misplaced? Well, what's interesting is some of the same people that are singing out and proclaiming that Jesus is Messiah may be the same people who by the end of the week are like, yeah, go ahead and crucify him. Now, it might not be. We don't know who was in which crowd. But we find that the hope was misplaced because as they saw that, wait a minute, we thought you were going to get rid of the Romans, and all of a sudden you're being crucified by them. That doesn't totally make sense. 
So we see that in our human nature that we tend to put our hope in things that are the wrong things. Jesus is trying to say, no, you can put your hope in me. I am the king. I will win. But still, there was something in many of the crowd that led them to, by the end of the week, to turn their back on him to think, wait, that's not how we thought things were going to go. Palm Sunday was awesome. Why are you hanging on the cross on Friday? We thought this was the end. I wonder how many times do we put our hope in things that are misplaced? How many times do we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, but we put our hope in our own ability to have the right answers in our politics? We put our hope in our own ability to make enough money to survive and to get ahead. We put our hope in our own ability to whatever it might be to raise perfect kids or to be the perfect husband or perfect wife. We, we put our hope in ourselves when Jesus is reminding us time and time again that your hope should only rest in me because everything else falls short. It's so easy to get lost. But the other thing we see in the story is hope fulfilled. We see that Jesus is telling us that, no, even when you misplace it, I want you to know that my will will be done. And there's hope. And I wonder if this story for us, as we wave palm branches and think of Jesus as the victor, how many times do we look in our own lives and say, are you really the victor? Are you really Lord in my life? Do I really allow you to come in and to change the way I see the world? Do I really allow you to be the one that I rest my hope in? Or the palm branch for you is still just a symbol that doesn't lead to any change? Is it a symbol for you? You just think, yeah, it's cute. One day Jesus will be Lord. But is he the victor in our lives today? I want to show you a, a quick video. It's a story of someone from Seacoast. And what I like about this story is just how God, it, it's a, a story of God just showing up and actually working on his heart in a way that he's learning what it means to have Jesus as Lord. Take a look at this video. i tell you a, a story that kind of ties in his, his love and his grace that he's shown me in my life is I had my best friend that I grew up with. He was, well, we were best friends from the time I was eight till the time 35. He was the best man at my wedding. About 15 years ago, 18 years ago, he started having a drinking problem. He moved to Arizona. And we tried to connect and things, you know, we just, I got a little resentful because I always thought I was the one reaching out to him. And I didn't, and he wasn't making an effort back, so, you know, we just didn't stay connected, right? Well, he passed away last month, and we went, I went to his funeral Saturday, last Saturday. Here I'm going to be up with all my old friends, all the families that I grew up with, all the people that, and I hadn't seen them for a long time, and I, they're all non, mostly non-believers. And I'm going, Lord, and I prayed, and like, at first I was like, I don't want to go. And it's like, no, the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to go. Why do you want me to go, Lord? I just, you need to go. Okay, I'm going. So I'm two weeks ahead of time, I'm thinking and praying, what is, what's he going to do? What's, what's his plan? And I, in my mind, it was going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to, he's going to use me to talk to these non-believers and something's going to happen, right? And so I'm driving up there, I was up in, near LA, and I'm driving up there last Saturday, and 
I'm still thinking about it, praying about it, and all of a sudden, this it just in my mind, maybe this is for you. And I went, what do you mean? And I just kind of push it out, push it out. So we get there at the, at the service, and I met said hi to his wife, which was not very friendly at the time. Talked with his brother and met, talked with a few other people. And then the service started. People were getting up and sharing memories. And I'm sitting there, and you know how the Holy Spirit sometimes just kind of pulling at you, right? And I'm going, Lord, I don't want to go up there. Like, come on. And it's like, and I, and my wife even saw me. I, I went to stand up one time and sat down, and she goes, "What's going on?" And I said, "You'll see." And so finally, I said, "Okay." I get up on, I go up and sit. And I, initially, I shared memories of what we had in childhood, and it would brought back some good. We had some good times together, but I really couldn't believe what came out of my mouth. But I, at the end, when I was getting ready to sit down, I apologized to his wife, to his brother, to his sister, to his family for not making the effort to reach out to them. And I realized later on that God had given me an opportunity to make amends and, and, and to be free from the resentment that I was holding against him and to love him again. And now I've, I've had memories of fond memories of us spending time together. And I find out that he's been, he was talking about our memories with his family, but we were just both of us so stubborn that we couldn't get by. But God gave me an opportunity to learn to love him and to forgive him, which I thought I had done, but I really hadn't. And it's just, those are the kind of things that happen in my life these days. He, he continues to restore me. What I love about that story is it didn't go the direction that I thought it was going. I was waiting to hear like, oh man, he preached at this funeral and everyone became a Christian and it was just this amazing moment. But I love when he said, maybe this is for me. Maybe God's doing something in my life. And really what God was doing was having him confront this idea of is Jesus, if Jesus is Lord of your life, what are the things that he needs to continue to work and transform and, and get you to surrender and get to the point where you say, when I wave the branch and say you're the victor, that means I don't have to be. It means that the job is done and I can live a whole new life. I can ask for forgiveness. I can put myself out there and even say, okay, I, this might make me look stupid, but I am sorry. And in that moment, the Lord uses it and the Spirit breaks through. And sometimes it's not for the person who's hearing it, it's for you. Because those are the little moments in your life where you wave the palm branch and say, you are Lord, not me. Those are the moments where we lay down our wreath and our crown and say, it's yours, Lord. And so today is God calling us to that. As Jesus entered on Palm Sunday, I can't help but to think of Isaiah 52, verse 5. It says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim that kingdom. In this week, it was Jesus coming. It was his feet. And ironically, by the end of the week, his feet looked very different, did they not? As they were crucified. 
but even they are proclaiming good news. Paul uses this verse to challenge us as Christians and, and reminds us that as we proclaim Jesus as Lord and live it out in our lives, that Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. He's speaking about you and me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing one last song, and this song is proclaiming who Jesus is. This is not a quiet, like, let's build up kind of song. This is a song where we say, no, you are the lion and the lamb. You are the king that we, you have accomplished all things. And here's what I want you to do. We are going to stand if you want to and if you're able, and we're going to worship. And you have these palm branches, and feel free to use these as a symbol today. That when we sing this song, we're proclaiming who is Lord. And I want you to take the palm branch home this week, and maybe you can put it somewhere in your house, maybe right when you walk in, and let that be a symbol every time you walk in, who the victor is. And if he's the victor, we don't have to be. So would you stand with me, and let's proclaim Jesus as our king. God, we thank you for who you are. And I pray on behalf of all of us at Seacoast that, Lord, we are sorry for the times when we want to be king. We're sorry for all the times that we proclaim the kingdom in our way and not in yours. And God, we wave the branch today. Which means you win, not us. So receive our praise, receive our hearts, God. We give it to you now. In Jesus' name.